My mama would say, you gotta fight for what is right. To her I would say, I wanna give back the world some light. Mm-hmm. But it's an empty road, I feel so alone, I forgot. Hey, good morning, Patriots. And today is a great day. Today is Friday, February 23rd in the year 2024. And if you didn't hear the news last night, which I'm super excited to announce, we crushed the initial funding goal. And I do mean crushed it for the Flemingsburg property. So we're going to be moving into phase two two in funding and we'll be updating all that later this morning on the give send go site so just so you're aware i'm using the same give send go site for this and all of this um give send go part will continue uh the first round of funding was to accomplish to get 
27500 which gave us a little bit of buffer to cover some of the legal fees in establishing the property and getting it off the market, which means pending sale. Not only did we accomplish that with what's on Give, Send, Go, which it shows $22,713, which is incredible, but also with the mail-ins that have come in, and then we had a donor step in by the name of Wendy who donated 25000 in addition to that, and that allowed us to basically double our goal in, in one go, and uh, the property yesterday was pulled off the market and a sale pending sign is now, it's in pending. So this is fantastic. So this is, I'm super, super excited about this. Um, and to be completely transparent of what our goals are here, this um, property has a has its sale value. I've worked with uh, Willie. What we've come up with in the agreement is that typically an escrow is about 30 days. We have what would be called a rolling escrow in the easiest terms to put it, which means that we just need to con- continue to contribute to that escrow until we hit the the amount of money that Willie needs as a, as a full down payment, which is a little, it's less than half, but it's roughly that. And once we accomplish that, um, then we're able to move it into contract and then we have a, a kind of a common law contract that takes over. So um, really fantastic. It's an unbelievable offer. And it's um, so we he wants this property to go to Bars Nation and to be the home of Bars Fest. I can't. And he is, by the way, just so you know, because I had this, I told Willie, I said, there was one requirement if we do this. And he said, what is that? I said, you have to be you have to be part of our ministry team when we're there. He was so excited. So if you don't know Willie, he's an amazing man. And people have asked as well about Bill. Bill's staying on. Don't worry about that. The whole team that was there is going to be part of this. So we've just expanded the family, the Bards family. It's just completely amazing. And I and I want to thank every, you know, I made the mention of Wendy's donation, which is huge, and I'm deeply blessed, and we, we all are blessed. But I also don't want to that to override the power of everybody's donations, including prayers. So we get to these donation pieces, and I often get the comments, I wish I could donate. And here's what I always say. Everyone's donating in one way or another. If you're praying or financially, whatever you're giving, it's all part of this body. So we're all in this together. And I don't in any way want one to override the other. Where God has gifted one thing, God has gifted others. So if you are in that place where you're like, oh, I wish I could, I, I can't afford it right now. No one's, all we're asking is prayers. And we would love your prayers. We've had a bunch of prayers up. We've got a great number of donations. This is fantastic. We just want to continue to share this. And I, I really want to be, the number is going to go up. The funding number is going to go up to 475. You're going to, 475,000 is what you're going to see. And I'm going to incre- update, to put some updates today. And I'm going to add some new pictures. And I'm going to add, I mean, add some new discussion about what we're, our objectives are, just so everybody's very clear. And that's to understand that we made our first funding goal, which was to get it off the market. We had a very tight window on that. That was about four day, five days, and we did it, thank God. And that, that's literally a thank you, God moment, because we came together, and God, God literally told me, this was, no kidding, this is last week, and he said, you could write a check for $1.2 million and have nothing in your account, and you know I would back it. And my, this was literally my comment. I said, uh, Lord, I absolutely have that faith. I just don't know if I have as much faith as I need to physically write the check right now. Well, apparently, 
uh, we all have that faith. So this is fantastic. So I'm super excited, and uh, and it's it's a wonderful uh, wonderful facility, and it's going to get greater. And I also want to highlight a couple of things that we're going to be doing there. And it's um, down the road, obviously, but we you remember that if those that you were there or or saw the uh, pictures, if you I don't know if we had this part of it live streamed. Jim Conley is um, a huge part of our team, obviously. He has a great podcast. If you're not following it, please do. He's really focusing his podcast in on Texas and kind of the Southwest region, which is so important right now. And I've been really encouraging him to push harder on his podcast, and he's doing a great job. Well, Jim is our grill guy, but literally Jim probably did as much ministry as anybody there through food, and I mean that. And if you don't know the story, and I've told it a few times, but it's, and we've also talked about it here, but Jim lost his son on the last day of Bard's Fest. That was Sammy. And Sammy died, and Jim got the news. And that man never stopped ministering to people through the grill until it was all over when he finally packed up and went home and, and was able to be there with that moment and his ex-wife and his family. Um, we prayed with Jim. And Jim held the line. He's like, I have a mission to do, which is incredible to me. And I, I honestly can't imagine the the pain that that carries with news like that. And yet Jim held it and delivered like nobody. We are going to be making some improvements in the near future once we get this thing settled in. And obviously we're going to want, to, this will be one of our volunteer projects we're going to want to do once we come up with a design, but we are going to make the grill area, permanent grill area. I've got to work with Willie on the best locations, but it is going to be named Sammy's Grill in honor of, of, of Jim's son. So this is a big deal for us to really honor that. And uh, and this will give us all a chance as well to give into that when that time comes. And I, I will probably do it at the next Bards Fest. Here's the tentatively, so a couple things coming up. Oh, this is a newsy beginning for everybody. I think everybody, hopefully this is all good. Um, April 8th, we're having an event north of, I don't have the exact location. It's going to be an event for this. It's going to be a Bards Fest for the for the um, eclipse. But the eclipse is north. We're going to be in the full darkness of the eclipse. And the eclipse path is north of Flemingsburg. So we're actually going to go up to uh, Pastor Peterson's church. And he, we're going to be up at, he's north of Milford, um, about two hours roughly, roughly north of um, of Flemingsburg. And we're going to be having an event there on the 8th of April, which is an odd day because it's midweek, but we are going to be having a, an event there. It's going to be a revival and an eclipse event to really bring in revival, repentance, the whole thing. We're going to have some speakers there. We'll get all that together. We're planning that right now. And then we're going to have another, we're actually going to have an event in Flemingsburg. So... I don't know if that's going to be tied in in around the same time frame or if we're going to push it out as far as June. I haven't decided that yet. Uh, I would welcome feedback. I don't want to make it. If you have ideas, if you think one idea would be to have it. Um, there's two ways of doing this. We could have it before. I think it's a little tight, but we could do it before the, the eighth event or we could do it after the eighth event. We could do it later in April or we could do it in June. And the reason I'm taking May out is Christine Cantrell is going to have her baby in May. And, and and I want to be around for that. It's going to be fantastic. And at the end of April, I'm also teaching at the Church of Glad Tidings. 
So there's a couple of things. We'll, we'll, if you have ideas on dates, send them in. It's all good. We're happy to hear it. And then we'll start deciding when that's going to be. Um, and like I said, we might do it in June, which wouldn't be a bad thing. And people would be out of school. And we'd be able to have an, a June Barts Fest in Flemingsburg. And then we would have our fall festival in, in Flemingsburg, which would be around end of in September, October 4th area. So the idea eventually is that there will be two... And I and I will be very honest. I'm inclined to go to the June date, just so we're clear, just because of timing, planning, and all the things it takes to put these together. But we're going to be having two Bards Fest a year in Flemingsburg, and then the idea is to schedule with the talent that exists within Bards Nation and other remnant tribes to schedule events every month there. That's kind of our goal, and and slowly build this out. So this is going to be quite an event. Um, and exciting. So this is this is really good. So anyway, exciting times, and we'll continue. I we'll begin. I want to just begin with a prayer of thanks, um, and a big big one. So, Father God, I just want to thank you um, for this time, and thank you for the blessings that are put beyond, uh, upon us in this hour that um, we are in a time such as this that we can truly be blessed with the with the resources and the the blessings that you've given us is this opportunity to acquire this property in Flemingsburg. It's just a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. So Father, we just thank you for this. Ask that you'll continue to lift us up and guide us and make sure that everything we do is true to your heart. And as we move forward to keep this in alignment with your heart in all that we do and guide us and direct us in all things in Christ Jesus name. Amen. Tremendous. So keep, please keep this all in prayers, everybody. This is a big deal. Lots of things happening on this level. Um, I just spoke with Brian Derrico at Church of Glad Tidings two weeks ago. They just signed a contract for a new facility. Remember, part of this at, at Flemingsburg is also Operation Vineyard, which is to rescue, heal, and restore and, and a stronghold for children. The Church of Glad Tidings just signed a contract to purchase a former women's prison that is now going to become their children's safe haven and recovery location, which is a big thing. And so they're in the process of moving. And then I talked to another person that um, I know that is involved with some operations in, in some, I'll just kind of leave it very vague, but they've just got blessed to be able to acquire about 300 acres. So God is moving in huge ways. And all this is happening right now, which is just amazing. So super, super cool. Um, tomorrow night, and I'm going to put up a thing, but I want you all to know tomorrow night's show, super special show, Pete Chambers is coming on to make a huge announcement about what's going on in Texas. Encourage you to be there. He's going to be, um, and we're going to live stream that as well into Rumble. I'll get a, a flyer put up for him in a little bit. A little bit later, there'll be some stuff up this afternoon, but make sure and tune in on that. That's super important. It's great. I see Jim's in the show today. So Jim, welcome. Nice to have you on the on the chat. Always a always a pleasure. So Patriots, all of that. This is a super good day. Let's just uh, highlight a couple of our sponsors. Obviously, one of those is our great sponsor of My Patriot Supply. They have continued to provide America with the essentials that are needed. In times of crisis, we are dealing with absolute psychopath, pedophile nut jobs that are running this world that are in a scorched earth approach. We know that. And in the knowledge of that, we also have to be aware that 
they're going to do everything they can to try to break our will. Food and emergency food systems are essential. And here's a practical side. Even outside of the psychopathic elite, we have an infrastructure in our country that has literally been ravaged by this destruction of our economy. We can expect disruptions in the food supply chain. On top of what we grow, we need to always have emergency foods in case disasters happen or displacement happens or just general disruptions. And we need to be prepared not only for ourselves, but for our neighbors. If you head over right now to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com, you will find the four-week emergency food kit on sale with $60 off. It's great value, great product line. My Patriot Supply is a fantastic company. If you order it by 3 p.m., you'll get same-day free shipping. It's fantastic, and they come in unmarked boxes, which is great, so you don't get it pilfered by somebody in the post office or delivery. Unfortunately, that's happening these days. So, again, uh, and, and it also keeps you kind of off the tracking, track them surveillance state nonsense, which seems to be ongoing as well. So, again, head on over to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com, and there you will find the what you need for the four-week emergency food kit discounted at 4 or $60 off, which is absolutely fantastic. So there is a real war going on um, at a spiritual level. And I think that part of this is defined right here. I want to just kind of give you the framing of where we're being perceived, which I actually smiled when I read this. It really makes right when I heard this. So I think you will too. Here we go. The one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The <laughs> yep. I don't know. That's like one of those. It's like one of those things you go. Yep. <laughs> it's like, uh, well. I, I I literally said back and I'm, I started laughing at this, like, let's alarm the world. And I'm like, um, did, apparently you did read the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. That's fantastic. And that's right in the first line. All of our rights come from our creator. So a little bit of truth there. So I'm very, very happy to be considered a Christian nationalist. Here we come, those Christian nationalists. Let me get to the core, though, I think of where this really comes from. And this is in the midst of all sorts of crazy media going on. This is a piece that was actually done in um, 2007, and it was done by Harvard's professor Stephen Walt. It's recorded on the Israel lobby. Now, I need to be clear. I am. I think there's a there's potentially, let's put it this way, some misinterpretation on things, and I want to be clarified on because. We get into this hot spot. We know that if we say anything about Israel or we say anything about the Jewish state, it's immediately, it falls into the category in our state now as anti-Semitic. And immediately even saying that on this show, I get flagged and I will guarantee you there's a nice long red list file of me somewhere in the bowels of NSA and the CIA and the FBI as a domestic terrorist because that's what they've done. This has happened because the Jewish lobbies have made it possible for them to go unaccountable. That is not biblical, and it's not biblical in any way. And unfortunately, our pulpits have become hijacked by this same message, which originates at the Schofield Bible, which is the end of times theory, which is everybody sitting out here going, oh, it's like it's almost like they're excited about having a war that's going to see the slaughter of everybody because in their mind is like, then Jesus is going to return. That's not biblical. 
I mean, I don't, this is just such crazy. I mean, when I say this, the idea of to be excited about a war, which is literally where people's heart is many times, and it's disgusting to me. The Jewish lobby is not of Jesus. It is a group of people that are working with intelligence agencies and backed by the Kazarian Mafia, which were by name, took on the title of Jew as a selection between that and being wiped out by the czar years and years and years ago, which if you listen to the Putin interview, listen carefully because he's actually taking you back without saying Kazarian Mafia. He's taking you to the root of where much of that problem was because he's referring to a specific set of archives in Russia, which is where that history is. It's really important. But people don't know that history. So Putin did a very delicate job of walking people into something in his interview with Tucker. And if you study into those archives, you suddenly realize that there's a Viking connection and that these people were ultimately subdued by the czar. And that takes us where? To Kiev and to, to Ukraine, what we call Ukraine today. So there's a whole connection to all this. It has to be understood and if we understand the histories of what we're currently facing. And it's quite amazing when we start to look at this and how when we start to look at timing too, Someone had asked me to do some research or to do some expanded look on the Kinsey issue. And I, I think there was Nature Cat um, in, our, in our chat had asked for this, and I'm working on it. We're going to do a show on this. But I just want to give you a couple dates that are super important. 1917 is the Russian Revolution. 1917 is the same year that the, uh, the foreign ambassador for, for Britain writes Rothschild's senior Rothschilds and says, we support this creation of a Jewish state. 1947, which is now 30 years later, is the establishment of the CIA, is the establishment on the UN charter on how to devise, divide up Palestine and the establishment of the Kinsey Institute. Those things are not unrelated. It's all part of this major cabal to take over Western governments. So this is what we're dealing with. So I want you to hear this piece. And this is to, this is from a classics, um, Classics G or Groip, Groip, I think it is Classics G's Groip. It's, um, yeah, that's an interesting name. Anyway, this is on X. And the, the post he puts here is Harvard professor Stephen Walt on the Israel lobby 2007. Notice how the same players and same tactics have been productive for years. They want to blacklist everyone who is critical of Israel and its influence and labeling critics as anti-Semitic works like a charm, smear merchants. This is about a four minute and a half piece, so take a listen. The lobby is a loose coalition of groups and individuals that works openly to influence American foreign policy in a pro-Israel direction. It includes organizations like APAC, the Anti-Defamation League, Christian groups like Christians United for Israel, think tanks like the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, publications like the Weekly Standard or the New Republic. And this is a broad definition, but if you think about it, most interest groups in the United States have lots of different components to them. The environmental movement isn't just Greenpeace or the Sierra Club. It also includes think tanks, sympathetic academics, and journalists, just like the pro-Israel movement does. Like other interest groups, the Israel lobby is not a cabal or a conspiracy, and the groups and individuals in it don't agree on every issue. But they do agree on wanting to preserve the special relationship. Final point here, the lobby is not synonymous with Jewish Americans. Many Jewish Americans don't support the lobby's positions, and groups like the so-called Christian Zionists aren't Jewish. 
The lobby is defined by its political agenda, not by ethnicity or religion. Like other special interest groups, the lobby works in two main ways. First, groups like APAC exert influence inside the Beltway by helping get allies appointed to key positions in the government and by giving politicians clear incentives to adopt positions that they favor. For example, by steering campaign contributions towards pro-Israel candidates and away from candidates who aren't. The lobby's influence, of course, is no secret. AIPAC was ranked the second most powerful lobby in Washington in a 2003 survey of congressmen and their staffs. And Bill Clinton said it was, quote, better than anybody else lobbying in this town. Newt Gingrich called it the most effective general interest group across the entire planet. And former Congressman Lee Hamilton, who served for 34 years, said there's no group that matches it. They're in a class by themselves. Former Senator Fritz Holling said, as he was leaving office, you can't have an Israel policy other than what AIPAC gives you around here. And that's why Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert said AIPAC was, quote, the greatest supporter and friend we have in the whole world, and Jeffrey Goldberg of The New Yorker called it a leviathan among lobbies. Now, of course, it's not just AIPAC, but it's also a number of other groups and individuals including, as I've mentioned, a subset of the Christian evangelical movement. The second strategy is to try and shape public discourse and American perceptions so that Israel is viewed favorably by most Americans. Pro-Israel think tanks and commentators produce a steady diet of op-eds, articles, books, and media appearances intended to shape these perceptions and influence policy. Media commentary in the United States tends to be pro-Israel, and there's simply no equivalent in the United States to Israeli journalists like Akiva Elder, Gideon Levy, or Amira Haas, who are frequently critical of Israeli policy. My point is not that these critics are always right and that pro-Israel pundits are always wrong. My point is that voices like theirs are almost entirely absent from mainstream media in the United States. But even so, Various pro-Israel watchdog groups monitor media coverage, organize boycotts and demonstrations against news agencies that publish or broadcast anything critical of Israel. And there's numerous examples of this taking place. Finally, last but not least, efforts to stifle criticism often include smearing critics by accusing them of being anti-Semitic. After former President Jimmy Carter published his book, Palestine, Peace, Not Apartheid, last year, Martin Peretz of the New Republic said, quote, Carter will go down in history as a Jew hater. A critic in the Washington Post compared Carter's views to those of David Dukes. Needless to say, such charges were routinely leveled at us after our article was published, even though there's not the slightest shred of evidence to support them. Pro-Israel groups use these smear tactics for three main reasons. First, to distract people from the real issue, which is American policy. Second, to deter people from criticizing Israel or criticizing the lobby itself. No sensible person wants to be labeled an anti-Semite, so some people just keep quiet. And finally, this tactic marginalizes people in the public arena. After all, what politician would want to associate with someone who's been accused even falsely, of being anti-Semitic. This works especially well in the foreign policy community, where being critical of Israel will almost certainly get you into trouble professionally. And there you have it.
outstanding laydown of the Jewish Lobby Network, which is all backed by Mossad and supported by CIA and MI6 and MI5. So you just need to understand the network because we're under a heavy barrage of attack, and this war is an influence war. And unfortunately, they, much of the pulpit has been seized. So the pulpit is, in a, to add another layer to this, which is very critical, which is the 501c3 and the Johnson Act. So when you add these things together, it's very in, easy to influence a pulpit. The pulpits are afraid to step into speaking from the pulpit about politics because they take this idea, the idea of the separation of church and state is idea that churches aren't supposed to speak about, this is what it's become, churches aren't supposed to speak about the politics of state, which is exactly wrong. The idea of the separation of the church and state is the idea that there's supposed to be a freedom of the church to speak about anything and that, that nothing within the state can influence it. When they established the 501c3 in the Johnson Act, and the IRS went on a massive recruitment push backed by CPAs that the churches need to, needed to become a nonprofit. This is very important to understand. And they converted over a, about a decade, most many of the churches, if not most or all, into the, the main ones, into 501c3s. These churches then had the perspective that they were told to sign even documents such as the the a fairness in speaking of race and relations, all of these things started to shape the message in the church and the pulpit became neutered for fear that they would be prosecuted or lose their status if they spoke about politics because it's very exclusive in a 501c3. It's a massive distortion, by the way. Number one, there's only been one church to the rec to the known record that has been prosecuted for or lost its 501c3 status for getting into politics. And it has to do with how they said, how they claimed their message in a full, in a Wall in a ad I think they took out in Wall Street Journal, full page. And basically said at the end of that ad that, they, that this was paid for by taxpayer money. That is, that was where they got in trouble. The real status that was already on the books, there's two statuses. The status that was on the books, which goes back to the 1800s, that the 501c3 took over was the 508. 508 established that the government had no business getting involved in the church's work. The 508 established, it's actually a 501A-C1A. There is no, no churches could be um, attacked by the government or messages be influenced. And it was a complete tax-free envelope for the church. So rather than being a religious institution, it's the church that they were talking about. And this takes us back to the Constitution. And then there's even another step of that, which is a private membership association, a PMA, which is even stronger in the eyes of the court because of the litigation that's behind it and supports it and supports by the Supreme Court choice. PMAs are common law and are structured in a way that keeps the government completely out. But churches aren't, the majority of churches aren't using that. So they're still under the perception that if they go forward and they speak of politics, this is where this effect takes here big or takes strong strong hold in the pulpit because it's the threat that if you don't speak pro-Israel and pro-Israel politics, it's all in one package. You can't speak out against Israel's atrocities in the Gaza without being anti without being anti-Semitic. You just can't do it in the church, and you can't do it in the political arena, which is exactly wrong. It's like saying that we can't, which is effectively where we are, you can't speak out against the operations against terrorists 
by saying that we're killing kids because if you do that, you're anti-American. George Bush even said that. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists. That's literally what he said when we went into Iraq the second time and slaughtered, I think, a million children. Okay, so we've, we've created these bipolar positions, which is so important to understand of how the church has been manipulated. And it was conquered on a number of levels. The church was conquered sexually through the Kinsey Institute because the 52 laws that were common laws were overturned, 50 of them, I believe it is, were overturned that prevented and, and, and protected the sanctity of the marriage bed in many levels. So this Kinsey Institute went after that. Keep in mind the parallel dates, 1947, which is the establishment of the CIA. 1947 is the establishment of the Kinsey Institute. And we move forward. And now we see the second wave of this, which is the establishment of the 501c3, which now takes churches into another level of, of pigeonholing where they neuter them by perception, important, that they can't speak out about politics. By the time we get to the mid-60s, we now have the sexual revolution. We have birth control, thanks to Stanger and her Planned Parenthood nonsense, the rise of abortion and the legalization of abortion. And we are moving into the destruction of the family and the child. And the pulpit has now been neutered to where its only voice it really has in politics is anti-abortion. And even then, it's not enough to take traction because the church isn't there. The church doesn't stop abortion. The church doesn't stop the gay movement. The church doesn't stop the transgender movement. All of these things. It's become effectively neutered. And much of that goes to taking its voice away. The church should and always should should be, in my opinion, and always must be a powerful voice both in politics and in the root. And that takes us to being a Christian national. Thank you very much. I think I'm going to wave a flag right now. I'm raising my hands. Amen. Because I don't take my authority from this government. I take my authority from God. That's it. And when we understand that and understand how our Constitution was established, which goes to our Declaration of Independence, all rights are given to us by our creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everything comes from our creator. It doesn't come from government. And that's where the, this comment that we started with, this quote we started with in the beginning is so misunderstood and yet so powerful in the sense of where we should be walking as a republic is that government and courts are subordinate to the will of the people and people are subordinate to the directions of God. That's a godly state. So it's a very important structure as we start to move into this and put the pieces together and we start to reclaim things for kingdom. So just to be transparent again, I'm going to go back to Flemingsburg and understand how that's being structured. We're starting with a 508 model, which establishes it as separate and protected under the legal status and code of the of the tax code currently. And as we go forward, that will be wrapped under a private membership association, which is common law. The reason we're doing it that way is one is quicker to do than the other. It's just that simple. And so in order to establish a right from the get to get it started right, we're pulling it away from the orbit of any sort of IRS audit and giving it the freedom of being a church on that space. And secondly, we will protect it with a PMA. They will wrap around it. They will take it essentially out of any control of government of the government as we know, legislative government, which is what all churches should be doing. So again, this is a model that we're going to be able to execute and then hopefully direct people to the resources that they need to start doing that for themselves to empower the church. This is what this is what has to happen. Because we have got to get 
people in the church thinking differently. Here's the, here's the other issue, and it gets to be a corruptive issue within the church. I've spoken about this before, but it is a mentality that exists. Big donors don't like to give unless they get something back. There is a part of this that I can understand in sort of tax issues I get, but at the heart of giving, and, I, and I'm not going to say there, there isn't a, an optional benefit being able to say, sure, you can get some tax deduction from your donations. But if that's the motive, which, by the way, it's not as big as most people think. It's about 25% of people that give to churches claim tax deduction on a 501c3. And the reason I say that, it's important to understand that that's how ineffective the 501c3 is. You would expect to see something 50, 60, 70% if the tax-free status was as big a deal as the IRS made it be, but it's not. The point is that the mentality, though, is that in the minds of people, it is the idea that there is a tax return or benefit for giving to the church. When you give like that, we're not giving of a heartful giver, and we're not sowing in. So I don't have any objections to people being able to, and I'm just going to use it this way, game the system to be able to return some of that money from the government and keep it out of their slimy hands as long as that was you as we see that that money that comes back is further use of tithe but when we are looking at that to game the system to get more to give to one organization and gain for ourselves we dilute the entire principle of sowing and the entire principle of giving so it's we shouldn't be at a point where we're giving this is a good point here i just read it in the chat and I'm going to emphasize that we should not have the heart of giving because we want to take a tax benefit. And that's what the 501c3 does in the corruptive nature of it. Okay. And that's where we have to get away from. So this is all part of understanding the hijack of the church and literally what they're going to do. Now, all of those things laid out that we just laid out are some principal issues to understand some bigger parts of what we're exposing and what this cabal is trying to fight. Obviously, at the core of all of this are children. And here's a great example. This comes from Wall Street Apes, and, and that's at Wall Street Apes on X. Colorado Representative Scott Bottoms confirms that people are buying one to five-year-old children for sex. This is incredible. I mean, I, just, I want to just throw up when I read that. Um, he says, almost all the time they get off on probation after buying a child and raping a little child. Now, I'm, I'm going to confirm this. This is Colorado. I was... When they had me in my hearing in, in uh, Denver back in 2017, I witnessed a, a man coming up to the front and his, the, the, the prosecuting attorney pleading with the judge to not let this rapist out because he had molested and raped a 16-year-old girl and literally watched the judge say, no, we'll give him probation and walk out and... Ankle monitoring no longer has to be continued because we don't see him as a threat. This is the cycle of nonsense. I mean, I can confirm a part of what this was just said by witness of what I saw there. The courts are broken. So this goes on. These are all the times that I am discouraged about my job as a representative and also just what happens here in the, at the Capitol, which would be Colorado again. We sat in a committee all day discussing whether or not somebody that buys little children, this is unbelievable, these are two, three, four, five-year-old kids, they buy them for sex. Then we tried to get a bill through, represent Bradley's, uh, Representative um, Bradley sent one through that was going to put these guys in jail. 
Right now, most of the time, they get off on probation. Almost all of the time, they get off on probation after buying a child and raping a little child. This, this, is, I want to, this is from Scott, Representative Scott Bottoms from Colorado. This is unbelievable. This is very discouraging. It's also very disgusting for me that they would actually defend this. And then they voted completely along party lines. Democrats voted at 100% that they did not want to put these pedophiles in jail. They defended the pedophiles. That is why it's so difficult sometimes to do what we do around here. We know we're on the side of, of right. Man, this is all real. This is all very real. Let me, let me just let you hear this. This is him right here. These are the times that I am discouraged about my job as a representative and also just what happens here at the Capitol. We sat in a committee all day discussing whether or not somebody that buys little children, these are two, three, four, five-year-old kids, and they buy them for sex, that we tried to get a bill through, Representative Bradley sent one through, that was going to put these buyers in jail. Right now, most of the time, they get off on probation, almost all the time. They get off on probation after buying a child and raping a little child. And we tried to say, well, they need to at least serve a minimum of four years. And then we sat and listened to the Democrats fight against this bill, fight against putting these people in jail, and came up with all kinds of reasons, including that these buyers are victims themselves. This is very discouraging, and it's also very disgusting for me that they would actually defend this. And then they voted completely along party lines. The Democrats voted 100% that they did not want to put these pedophiles in jail. They defended the pedophiles. This is why it's so difficult sometimes to do what we do around here. We know we're on the side of right. We know we're on the side of morality. And we get shot down by, I do not understand the thought process behind this, but we do get shot down. This is why I would encourage you to do a few things to help us with this. First, if you believe in prayer at all, please pray. We are fighting truly dark forces here. This is not okay. This is evil stuff that we're dealing with. And if you have the ability to come up and testify on, on bills or anything like this, please do so. Your voice is very important to what we're trying to accomplish around here. We are the minority, but with you, we become a powerful force. This is so disgusting. I mean, I'm, I'm not to him. I mean, again, hat tip to Representative Scott Bottoms for having the courage to literally step up and speak truth. But this is where we have to change the game. He says he's the minority. He's the minority because a criminal cabal has taken over our election system and has installed pedophiles and satanic creeps in the system. We're the majority, but they want you to believe you're the minority. That's the PSYOP because they're installing their people and their people aren't satanic. There's no other way to put it. This is a satanic cult that is trying to seize control of the globe. And it goes back to the things we've already talked about, this framing of these it comes in part from the Jewish lobby. It comes in part from these other interests that are these secret societies. And it's tied in with the intelligence agencies. That's what it is. And so we of the people are, have a massive voice here and have to speak out. Now, if you're wondering, and this is a, another piece here on by Wall Street Apes, which is, again, on X. Um, 
All of this ties back to your why they want your guns out of your hands. Seriously. This is it's really, literally that simple. We go to the root of what's what's the problem and what they're hiding and what they're hiding all these other distractions between political corruption and financial embezzlement. All of those things are hiding in the end of the day the deeper root of this problem and the systemic root of this and even the corruption and the, the hijacking of the pulpit, what they're hiding behind that is the destruction of children. And it's the sexual exploitation, trafficking, and sacrificial use of children. Now, keep in mind the statistics I've read a couple times here this week, which are important to get. We have 60% of our senior of our pastors have are dealing with sexual, some sort of sexual addiction, okay? 60% roughly of our pastors as well have dealt with pornography problems within the last year. 42% or so of our pastors right now in that range, it's about 40, but maybe about 37 as I recall the number, are dealing with, currently dealing with a pornography addiction. Now let's go to a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview, 47% of our senior pastors have a biblical worldview. 13% of your teaching pastors have a biblical worldview. 12% of your youth pastors have a biblical worldview. This corruption, this the virus we're dealing with, this is a mind virus, literally, that's corrupting the world. So it is important for us to understand the magnitude of this. So let's go back to this post with Wall Street Apes. If the government can't be successful in their goal to take your guns, they'll attack your ammunition sources. 20 states are asking Joe Biden to shut down America's largest ammunition factory that produces 40% of civilian ammunition. Those 20 states are hijacked by pedophile elites. I don't even have to go deeper than that because what they're afraid of is that they are going to be discovered of what they've actually been doing. And this is why they are afraid. Because they know that in this great moment of awakening, as people are finding the truth, we are ultimately going to come to the understanding that this pervasive activity of raping and abusing children, which is all the hub of what Epstein Island is about, which, by the way, let's be clear, Epstein Island was run by, a, run by Epstein, who is a Mossad agent tied to Ghislaine, who her father was a notorious Mossad agent. So if Epstein Island and is tied with Mossad, that means that's crimes Israel has been purporting, been perpetrating on the world. Be clear about that. That is not a distinction. You can't say that is, is CIA, well, oh, CIA is a rogue organization and it's been using U.S. taxpayer dollars, but we're not accountable. As a nation, the CIA has been executing things in the horrors against God Unfortunately, using our money, and we need to be more vocal. Just like in Israel, Mossad is doing crimes of the state of Israel against other people and also responsible for the largest global child sex trafficking ring ever. That's how they blackmail everybody. So 20 states are asking Joe Biden to shut down America's largest ammunition factory that produces 40% of civilian ammunition. 20 states have had higher have hired their attorney general submit letters to Biden's gun violence prevention office, and they're asking Joe Biden to cancel all civilian contracts through Lake City Ammunition Plant. This is what they're, they're doing with our tax taxes and our time. And here's the 20 states that had attorney general submit the letters. New York, naturally. California, you bet. Oh, my state's in there too. Here it comes. Connecticut, naturally. Delaware, D.C. That's not a state. That's a district. 
Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, violence. Uh, <laughs> that, was a, that was a Freudian slip. They're all full of violence, all of these. Minnesota. In fact, just to highlight this great anti-gun movement, the violence in Minnesota schools right now is so, I'm sorry, it's, I said Minnesota, it's Massachusetts or Maryland. I just read it yesterday and I, I think it's Maryland. It's so high, they're asking for the National Guard to come in and protect kids. Nevada, surprising. New Jersey, New New Mexico, Oregon. New Mexico is a liberal tank down there. Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington. All the hijacked states of liberalism. And by the way, you will also find something else very important, especially in California, Oregon, and Washington, which is it's also the states with the highest level of Chinese infiltration for money and lobbying in those states. Truth. By the way, I've said this before, understand the importance of Oregon, of why Oregon is so important to the Chinese, and it's more important than many other states. We have the seven data cables that come out of the states that go to, over to China come off of our coast over here. China wants the data. They want to control it because if they control it, they control the information war and war on perception. Don't ever forget that. It's huge. So... This is an attempt, so let me just play this piece. It's about one minute or so. It'll, it'll put things in perspective. 20 states are asking Joe Biden to shut down America's largest ammunition factory that produces 40% of civilian ammunition. Let's jump right into this. 20 states have had their attorney general submit letters to Biden's gun violence prevention office, and they're asking Joe Biden to cancel all civilian contracts through Lake City Ammunition Plant. This is what they're doing with our taxes and our time. And here's the 20 states that had their attorney generals submit these letters. New York, California, Connecticut, Delaware, D.C., Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington. And in these letters, they say that it is wrong for Americans to be able to purchase billions of rounds of ammo from Lake City plants. And they're claiming Lake City ammunition has been used in several major mass shootings. And for those of you who probably don't know this, Lake City has been producing civilian and military contract ammo since 1941. They produce 1.4 billion rounds a year. And the Democrats' main goal is to cut out 40% of the supply for a civilian market for ammunition. And I can't even make this part up. They are saying that U.S. tax dollars should never be used for violence. Holy shit, what country do they think they're in? They can't ban our guns, so they're coming after the ammunition and they're pulling the heartstrings of America by claiming that someone that produces the most amount of ammo for civilians happen to have some of their ammo used in violent crime. That's what's going to happen. Seems like not much of it is used since you know exactly what crimes it was used in. And if you guys like what I do, be sure to like and follow. Hitting repost really helps me. And if you want to check out my YouTube channel or my series, it's in my bio. And there we go. I mean, this is just the lunacy. And the problem is that we the, the NPC, which is, for those of you who don't know that term, it's non-player character in the video games, which means mindless. The drones of the Matrix are out here just nodding their head going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we got to get rid of the guns. Fools. This is the sad part about this is, unfortunately, we are going into a point that's unavoidable. And I do not wish this on anybody, truly, but it is unavoidable. Because of this pacified male approach where we've neutered so many of our men and we've had so many of our women in this nation converted to hating men and thinking they can live without them. We are ripe to have massive inner city violence. It's going to explode. That's where a lot of these concentrations of these illegals are coming in and it's happening. 
and it's going to explode at a certain point. It's just really every bit of intel that I'm hearing getting from sources outside of mainstream, obviously, is saying the same thing. 2024 is our preparatory year, 2025, after the election, it's going to blow up. And you're going to see some false flags in between now and then anyway. Just be prepared. It's going to happen. So that you can be assured of. And that's an important point to keep in mind in all of this nonsense that we are dealing with is that ultimately with 7.2 million illegals here in the, in the country, we have a war that has been waged on us by a, a, vax, a vax propaganda war. We've had a war now on our guns. We're having a war on our way of life. It is ultimately what we had, can expect is they're going to do everything they can to disrupt that. Take a listen to this piece. People got to stop voting for people because they're a woman or because they're black or because they're this or that and start voting for who's going to do the best job for you. Who's going to make your household run better? And I think most people are starting to understand. Yeah, dude, when Trump was in office, I had a lot more money. I had a lot less stress. My life was a lot better. And ultimately, I think that's what's going to swing the vote in favor for Trump. But unfortunately, I don't know that the vote's going to be enough. I will be shocked if we don't have a major level disruption between now and November. Because remember, dude, this is February. When did COVID happen? Beginning of March. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the world was completely different. There's going to be some sort of major disruption and division attempt. If just a vote puts Trump back in office, I would be completely fucking shocked. So th this is kind of, in, as we look at the wrap-up of this this morning, it's important to get this because we do have an important point to prepare for disruptions. It's coming. It's there. It's, it's right before us. They're going to do it. They can't avoid to it. They can't avoid it. The truth is too powerful. I'll just give you my personal opinion on this. I don't think we're going to have an election in the fall. I don't know how it's going to come about. I think that a lot of what you're seeing is a is the pacification operation right now to keep people's eyes on this. And I think that there is going to be enough truth that percolates up with the pressures and the the pressure that that puts on the deep state that ultimately we're going to see a breakdown and that there's not going to be a vote in the fall. And I just say that. However that plays out, I don't know. I think that at a certain point then is when you start to see the the people's position get to be extremely strong. This DMA, Direct, Declaration of Military Accountability, don't take your eyes off of that. It's hugely important right now. It's bigger than most people realize. Because so many people through that group and supporting and veterans supporting that group are running for office. It's very important. And in this, you have an activation to literally transform the leadership in the military to be able to address not only accountability, but to address these words, enemies domestic, which right now have pretty much been taken out of any operational consideration within the military. At the same time, local action is absolutely critical. And part of that is to get into the churches again and to get them to start embracing truly what their mission should be, which is we should be speaking politics from the pulpit. Let me play this piece here, um, and I think you'll appreciate that, and then we have one more after this. It's fascinating for me to listen to you guys, and thank you for just just um, breaking this down so that we can all have a better understanding of this. My understanding of, uh, of, of people who are, who are being tolerant and turning the other cheek um, is— 
I see so many who are just tolerating evil, and that's not loving your neighbor. I mean, at the end of the day, the two great commandments of Christianity are to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it is to love your neighbor as yourself. If you tolerate the kinds of things that bring misery to your neighbors and ultimately strip them of their liberties, you're not loving them. And I think that's where you have things like the just war theory. You have things like um, interposition, where the lower magistrates would interpose themselves uh, against the tyrants. Uh, and, and, and that's what we have with the Constitution, is we have limits for government powers so that we don't tolerate tyranny, either from the outside or from the inside. And that is uh, a very essential Christian virtue is to not tolerate that type of thing. Um, now, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna cuss me out and you're gonna you're gonna steal my my coat, uh, I might um, love you anyway and give you my shirt too. And and in doing that, sometimes people go, their conscience convicts them, and they come back around and go, why why do you do that? Why do you live that way? But you come after my kids, or you start stripping away our liberties, or you you make my my neighbors live in poverty and misery so that you can go live on Epstein Island. Uh, no, I think we shouldn't tolerate that. That is such a critical angle here to understand and appreciate is that we have an obligation within loving thy neighbor to stand for what's right. And it doesn't mean, and this gets so confused, and I deal with this almost every week in some fashion or another, the message of loving thy neighbor, which translates to somehow I'm supposed to love thy enemy. I am going to pray and love for my enemy, but that does not mean there is a reduction or removal of accountability. So this is the problem that we've gotten into is that we still have an accountable issue to protect and defend that which God gave us. Love what God loves, hate what God hates. And when we forget that, we get into this soft, mushy, love everything, and this is where you end up with LGBTQ conquering flags putting on the lawns of churches, which is unbelievable to me. So with that, there is one very important perspective here I want to share with you before we go. And it's, I just think it's a great piece here of just putting some stuff in reflection and it's just about who we are and who our relationship with God. All right, so I went to a restaurant to get something to eat. And instead of sitting down, I placed the order to go. They told me how long it would be. After about five minutes, the host calls me back up to say, hey, it's gonna take an additional 15 minutes on top of what we've already said um, because we don't have that available. Do you want to replace it with something else? And I simply said, no, I'm actually willing to wait. She looks stunned. <laughs> like you're really willing to wait 15 minutes for this? Um, so I sat back down and I watched as other people came in to order the very thing that I wanted and was willing to wait for. They came in for it, but they didn't want to wait. So they got something else. After waiting, the normal process is for them to call you up by your name or your number or they give you a buzzer. This particular guy comes from behind the counter and he looks me in my eyes with my order and he says, ma'am, because you waited so patiently, we added some additional items in here and this is on us. What I came to let you know is that God sees how you're waiting. 
It's not, I've been waiting a long time. It's how you're waiting. It's how we wait. But he sees that you're waiting. And he is going to repay you for your wait. There is a recompense for your wait. I just came to remind you because I know I have done something dumb. I've sent a message before like this, okay? But wait well. God is going to repay you for how you wait. Have a good day. God will repay you for how you wait. I just love those terms, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful perspective in walking in our faith and having true confidence in God for all things. It's really amazing. So, patriots, with all of that, let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you today for the time that we have together for, as I look outside, a beautiful sunrise that's happening and just the moments that we have in this celebration of this era in which we live. We are literally here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. Father, these are difficult times when we're walking outside of your faith. And so we pray for those that are on that edge seeking or those that are lost and wandering in the desert. And we truly pray into them. And we pray into their hearts to strengthen them, to awaken them, and to break down some of those walls that have been built up, even the walls of distortion that has somehow been put there to make them believe that they should not love you or even worse, have a desire to hate you. Those are whispers of the devil and demonic that have rooted in to such an evil way that have distorted the greater message of the walk in Jesus. Father, we pray into the pulpit today to shake it and to literally break the foundations of rot that have been before it and to lift it up as a mighty voice in kingdom. And let that, be, let that pulpit, the, the deconstructed pulpit, continue to move across this nation from the many groups of the remnant that are coming together and reawakening the true sense of the church without walls. Father, we just pray into this moment as well, the blessings and that you've given us in Bars Nation to allow us now to move to the next level, to acquire a property there in Flemingsburg that will truly be a kingdom stronghold. And we pray for the continued resources to fall upon us, the continuing heart for all of those to participate in, in the many ways of giving to help build that up as a true place of sanctuary and prayer and, and worship, the, the training of the fivefold ministries, the raising up of an ecclesia, and all of the things that go with training the elements of county by county to awaken the true hearts and mighty mightiness in the hearts and the warrior heart of Christ in so many that come. Let it be a place that people come to, to congregate, to come together, to worship together, and experience the miracles of the living God. So, Father, we thank you for all that you give us, and thank you for the walk that we're in. We ask for a blessing for everybody in Bard's Nation and those beyond that are coming to this community and coming to this, this banner, which is simply a banner under which, a, a canopy under which people are, are assembling, to seek out that true sense of Jesus and let us walk that together to learn, to explore, and to, re, to reclaim those authorities given to us in Christ Jesus' name. And we say and declare all of these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. On Sunday, as part of, and maybe we'll even do it tonight, tomorrow night, which is probably better, we are going to wage war against the principalities that are holding some of these children hostage. And I might do it tomorrow night. I just have to see how it all comes together, meaning we have Pete Chambers on tomorrow night. We've got Pete Santilli on tonight, which is a great two-hour interview, by the way. Buckle up, long interview. Um, Pete Santilli's an amazing man. 
and I, I think this interview is going to show you a heart of that man that's very different. If you don't know Pete Santilli, you will after tonight. An amazing story of being held in jail for over 600 days with trumped-up charges was finally released. He was part of, he was on the scene or right in the area when Klein uh, Vinikin was assassinated and killed in cold blood in my state here in Oregon and was part of, was there with the Bundys as well. He was held in solitary confinement for, I want to say, six months or so. And so he has, he found that time as a former Marine to dig into the word and to just become empowered in God's word. And that's the man that you're going to hear tonight. Two hours of a great discussion. Brilliant person. Look forward to sharing that with you. It's a great, uh, it's a great interview. So we are, anyway, we are going to step into this time now as kind of a new pressing in as we have to lifting up truly all that God gives us and stepping into a greater place where we can start anchoring ourselves, lifting ourselves up and, and expanding the community and bringing the tribes of the remnant together. And let us be those bridge builders. That's the most important thing. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We're at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Bards FM. And again, tomorrow night, don't forget, Gospel of Peace with Colonel Pete Chambers, retired Special Forces, talking about a huge announcement for Texas. And then again, Sunday morning for our um, prayers and healing with Coffee and Jesus. And then Sunday night, we'll have Expedition Cafe. And I think I'm going to have um, Teddy a.k.a. Bear, one of our founding mods on Sunday night. He's got a lot of neat things going. So we've got a lot of cool stuff this weekend and coming up. So, again, thank you all for your prayers and your blessings and for all the support as we work together as one body to acquire that center, Bars Nation Center out in Flemingsburg. Keep that sharing out, and I'll, you'll see some updates on that later today. So, anyway, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs, and hardships, as well as high reward. 
So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 